0: That's ChumbaCasino.com.
2: No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is the Broncos and Bratwurst podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Gilligan. We'll be joined a little bit later on by the Skipper Dude, as always, who will give us his own impressions about Drew Locke and the Broncos win over the L.A. Chargers. It was a, I don't know if it's a fun game to watch. The first half was awesome. Um, really exciting. As anyone, obviously, who watched knew. Knows, um, and then it got boring as heck, and we all got mad at the coaches, and then we all got happy because they won. And so, are kind of happy, I guess. It was one of those games. I know several of the Mile High Report guys were saying, you know, this was a game. Of course, Denver was going to win because all of the other, you know, potential, you know, uh, high draft pick teams all ended up winning, and so the Broncos could have had a chance to get down just to the to the top five picks in the next year's draft. But they won. So, again, I I don't ever – I don't know. I do feel bad about a win sometimes. But it's good for the, the young quarterback to get a win in his first start. I think that's awesome. I think it's good for the confidence of the team. And, you know, if four wins is still going to get you a pretty decent spot in the draft next season. Or next year, I should say. Um Interesting game. Obviously, everyone knows I've been a, a Drew Lock fan since they picked him. Really, before they picked him, he was a guy I wanted them to draft, even in the first round. So the fact that they got him in the second round was a huge boon, in my opinion. And don't listen to D Mac of the fan because one of the dumbest takes of all time, in my opinion. And I actually like D Mac. This is the guy's just got to stop and just say, "Yeah, I'm wrong on this one." Um, Drew Lock looked really good in the first half. Uh, obviously, a couple mistakes. Uh, you know, a turnover later in the game, and you know he had some throws that I'm sure he would want back. But in all, overall, I thought the guy looked really good. I think he looks like an NFL quarterback. Now, is he going to be great? I don't know. As we said last week, we need more than five games, especially more than one game, to be able to see what this guy is actually going to end up bringing to the team as a whole. But we, I think I can say confidently that the guy looks the part. He looks the part. At the beginning of the season, before the season, I think I think it was right before week one, I had a kind of controversial take and said that I didn't like Joe Flacco's face. And people were like, you know, Kevin, that's a stupid, what, what are you even talking about, blah, blah, blah. And in the end, I was totally vindicated because... The guy's face is a problem. He he just doesn't show the energy. He doesn't seem to really care. Now, maybe he does care, but he doesn't show it. I think it matters. I do think it matters. I think it matters to his teammates, and it definitely matters to the fans. Drew Locke, I like his face. I do. Now, yeah, maybe that's a bit of a man crush on the guy, but I like his face. He's he he he's got this kind of boyish charm about him. He's He's like this 12-year-old that's... He kind of doesn't, he, he knows he's good, but he also knows he loves the game, if that makes sense. You know, he, he he's a bit cocky, he's a bit, maybe even a little overconfident, but I think the players like that about him. I think they like that he's got this really, really confident swagger. And kind of this boyishness, at least in terms of just what I can see from the television. He's got this boyishness that's that, to me, is is a good thing. He looks like he loves playing. He looks like he wants to control the huddle and control the game. He's making calls in the huddle. He's he's changing plays at least a little bit in the huddle. And that's a big deal. For a rookie to come in and just say, hey, look, this is now my team. That That rubs off on guys because players know the quarterback has to be the leader. This is why they get paid the most money. It's one of the hardest, maybe the hardest position in all of the sports in the world to play. There are a few guys who can do it well. Maybe, what, 10 guys in the world who can be really good at it. And so players and teammates know, they understand it. this guy has to be the guy. And so I really believe, like if you look at a guy like Jameis Winston, he's got all the talents in the world. He's got the arm, Mobility. But he makes bad decisions. He turns the ball over and and he's kind of an idiot. And he's kind of been known as that. And they don't win. They're not a winning team and they never have been with him. I don't think any team he goes to will be a winning team. Because. He doesn't have it. From what I saw from Drew Locke in one game. I think he could. Could have it. Now of course the problem is. Even if you have it, you have to have talent. Tim Tebow had it. No question. No question he had it. I'm a big T- Tim Tebow fan. The guy had that moxie. Players played harder behind him. Even if they didn't agree with his Christianity or anything else or his, his kneeling in prayer, they didn't have to agree with that. But they. I do believe they played harder for him. You can disagree with that. That's fine. But that's my belief. I do believe his teammates played harder for him. They ended up going to the playoffs and winning a game. And his talent was not great. But they still won a playoff game. That just shows what it can bring to a team. Peyton Manning is the king of it. Now, part of it was he was maybe the smartest quarterback to ever play the game. But the guy wasn't that talented. Not physically. He was just really smart. And he was a great, great leader. What we have in Drew Locke could potentially be both. Drew Locke could be a John Elway. Now, yeah, I'm not saying his, his the way he plays is exactly like John Elway, but John Elway did have it. He was the leader. He was the guy, and he was supremely talented. This is why the team you know, had 20 years of glory. Drew Locke has that potential. He also has the potential to be not very good. We saw some throws the other day on Sunday that you know that they were lacking <laughs> let's just say that you know his stat line it's not very good you know 134 yards two touchdowns one interception 18 for 28 yeah it's okay part of it is because the the scheme was uh questionable which we'll get talk about later on but the guy he should make every single broncos fan excited which is this is really interesting this is something we have to talk about too that there were 19,000 no-shows in Denver for the first start of the guy that could be the franchise quarterback. That baffles me. I understand that this team is is not winning. They haven't been very good. The the fans have every right to to not show up. But this isn't just not tickets being bought. These are no-shows. These tickets are already bought, and they're not showing up, which means the money has been given to the team already. And you're not going to come watch a game of of, of possibly the future quarterback for the Denver Broncos? What are you doing? I mean, the, the, someone said, you know, oh, the, well, the weather wasn't very good. What? No. Weird. Broncos fans, I I, I understand that you might want to, you know, not, you might have other things to do than go to a Broncos game. But you didn't want to go to a game the first game of Drew Locke, what are you doing? I'm sorry, I, I just don't get it. I I think that was a boneheaded decision by 19,000 fans. If I was in Denver, I would gladly have taken one of those 19,000 tickets. Strange, 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 strange. This team has its issues. And we're going to talk about that in the, in the third segment about things we should be worried about. But as we've said over and over and over, this is a team that is rebuilding, but I do believe it's trending in the right direction because you have guys like Cortland Sutton, who is a monster. The guy truly could be the most talented wide receiver in football. Really? I mean, he could be. The guy is, he's amazing. Every week he makes incredible plays. His stats are just fantastic. Fantastic. If he and and, and Locke can somehow be this combo, this could be 10, 12 years of Elway to Rod Smith type stuff. I mean, that's awesome. Fant doesn't always show up. I think he's got issues that he's got to learn from, but you know what? That's typical with a first-year tight end. The guy's talent level is through the roof. So with the right coaching, a little bit of patience, and a good quarterback, I think he could be a top-five, Tight end, even next year. Lindsey Freeman. Patrick didn't show up for some reason last week. He, I think, he had two, two targets and no catches, which surprises me a bit. I, I thought he would be a bigger part in the offense, but yeah, you know, maybe just wasn't getting open, or maybe Locke wasn't seeing him. Whatever. There's talent here. There's a lot of talent here. Yeah. Defense is is I think it's more of a problem than people are are, are saying right now. Um, this year, I think, especially because they've got injuries, Derek Wolf is out for the year. Unfortunately, the guy was having his best season ever, really, maybe at least right up there with his rookie year in a contract year and then goes and just breaks his arm in a terrible way. So two straight weeks, they lost, uh, Janovich and then Wolf to, to broken arms, just bad, bad, bad injuries. And that's rough for him and even rougher for the Broncos because Von Miller's already banged up and I don't think I don't know if they should play him for the rest of the year. So if you're looking at Wolf gone, Miller gone. Malik Reed was banged up last week, or on Sunday I should say. So their defensive line's getting thin. Really thin. And I think eventually you're gonna have teams start to to tear them apart. I mean I think Houston it could have a heyday against this defense because the line gets more and more banged up. But it was good to see some guys on the defense show up. I think Yadam had a good game. I think he he repaid the trust that Fangio put in him. I think he had a decent game. He gave up that late pass to to Williams, but that's just a great catch. I mean, that was a great catch by Williams. It was actually good coverage by Yadam. So he showed up. I mean, he looks like a guy who could at least hang on to the team potentially. I think Chris Harris Jr has not had a very good year. He's been okay, maybe good, but he hasn't been great. So I don't think he's going to get a big contract. I think he's gone in free agency. I think there are some big question marks for this team. And boy, they better sign Justin Simmons quick because he's, he's a free agent next year. And he's your best defensive player right now. Period. I mean, Von Miller, maybe when he's healthy. Chubb, maybe when he's healthy. But right now... It's Justin Simmons, and I don't think it's even that close. I mean, Alexander Johnson is right up there, too. He's got some big, you know, PFF is, is saying he's, he's been the top linebacker in football, and he's, he's really shown that he can be a starting caliber guy. He makes big plays, but Simmons has been even all pro level from, from my opinion. Got to wrap him up. Got to. You've you got to keep these guys who are young and are the backbone of a defense. So I, I actually see for the future, I see more issues with the offense heading into wherever this team is heading than I do with the more problems with the defense than the offense, yeah. So we'll have to see what they do in the off season, who they draft. I think now the Broncos are in this eleventh spot, which, you know, I think they'll they'll go back down. I think they'll be in the top ten. They've got a tough schedule coming up and I think they're gonna lose. Quite a few more games this year. I don't think they win six. I think maybe they win one more out of the rest. Um, We'll talk about that more in the last segment. And also what we think is wrong with the coaching staff and what really needs to be fixed if this team is going to stay together and if they're going to gel and build and become a franchise, again, that we can be proud of. On Thursday and Friday, I am traveling to Austria for a short little vacation in Innsbruck. Going to go check out the Christmas markets. I I tell you that that is one of the best things about Europe and Germany and Austria. This area in Italy too. I think. And I, I think okay. A lot of Europe does Christmas markets. They're awesome. I just love them. The, the the vibe, the energy, you know, the people, the stands with with. I mean, I tell you, the bratwurst at Christmas markets is just. Amazing. I mean, they've got. Sometimes you get these red, spicy bratwurst with with um, sauerkraut on the top, with a little bit of hot mustard. Oh
1: man, it's
2: good. And it seriously, it makes me it makes me hungry right now just thinking about it. Uh, but yeah, we're going to Innsbruck with some friends, uh, spend some time there. So this is actually being recorded on Tuesday. I'll get the 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 show from Skipper Dude probably tomorrow night, and then plug it all together. And again, you'll be listening to this on Friday. Uh, which is the normal time. Unfortunately, my bad. I've been getting the... Uh, there's been a few times I've gotten my podcasts to Tim a little bit late because I record them on Friday at 3 a.m. U.S. time. So that's my fault. Uh, my bad that the, the podcast has had to have been rescheduled. Um, so apologies to the listeners and apologies to Tim. Um, we'll do better in the future and make sure that we have those so that the show can go as always on Friday. Um, anyway, so back to the Broncos. I think, again, as everyone knows, I'm, I'm feeling pretty optimistic about this team, especially this offense. I think Drew Locke looked like a guy who could become great. We'll see. I'm not going crazy about this yet. I'm not saying anything that I'm sure of. But he looks like he has it. And I'm excited, really excited to watch him for the rest of this year and next. And I think the offense has a lot of pieces that are in, you know, should put this team in the right direction. And they've, they've got Juwan James coming back. So I think the offensive line, you're going to need a few pieces in the offseason. Um, but other than that, the offense is looking fairly good. Maybe add one big receiver, blah, blah, blah. We'll talk about that, obviously, more in the offseason. Now, I think the bigger issue is on defense. A lot of players leaving. And even, even bigger issue right now, I think, is the coaching staff. Now, you know, there are a lot of different rumors going around of, of you know, or, or Fangio kind of throwing his staff under the bus saying that he was changing plays, you know, he didn't like what Scandrella was calling. You know, I don't think that's a problem. The head coach always has a veto power. I think the problem is that he says it. Don't go out there and say it. Come on, man. Don't don't throw guys under the bus. And and I've been a big defender and proponent of Vic Fangio because I like the old-fashioned style. But there's some things, come on, man. Just, you know, you don't have to say it. You don't have to say it. That That's a faux pas it's unnecessary. You don't need to go throw your offensive coordinator under the bus when he's a rookie. You're both rookies help each other out. Don't stab each other in the back, man. I mean, it's just badly done. And it's something I, I do have a problem with Fangio that he just will not say anything good about his players. I mean, almost ever every now and then he will be like, yeah, Justin Simmons. He's a good player. Cool, bro. I mean, come on, say something nice. I mean, Drew Locke just went out and won his first game ever. You know, you can say something nice. You don't have to say he's the future Hall of Famer. He, he's John Elway. You know, the next two Just say, yeah, I'm proud of the guy. He went out there and won a game in his first start. I'm proud of him. Just say that. You can say it. It's it's not going to hurt you, Fangio. Come on, man. I mean, I, I, yeah, yeah. I guess I'm a millennial, but I'm 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 old fashioned. You know, my beliefs are typically old fashioned, and, and that's why I like Fangio in a lot of ways. But I, I do not ever like coaches throwing other people under the bus. Take the blame for everything, man. Don't go and say, yeah, I changed the good play and the bad plays weren't my fault. And he's done that. He has. And again, I'm a fan of Angio, but the guy's got to stop. He's He's got to start taking the blame and not take the credit. That's what good coaches do. Now, I don't mind if he's kind of this crusty old man like Bill Belichick, but you know what? You haven't won like Bill Belichick. You don't have the right to do that. So just go up there and say the nice things. I don't care if you actually believe them, just say them. You can lie a little bit as a head coach. You gotta protect your players, you gotta protect your coaches. And from what I'm seeing, he's not doing it. So when I hear that players are a little upset with the coaching staff, I think it's because Vic Fangio is a bit of a jerk. Now, I'm not in that locker room. I don't know what's going on, but where there's smoke, there's there's fire. And there's been plenty of smoke about the issues with the coaching staff. Now don't get me wrong. I'm not saying he should be fired at all. I think that's the last thing that should happen. What should happen is Vic Fangio needs to ha- be sat down by John Elway in whatever exists of this ownership, and they need to tell him, hey, bro, you got to cool it. I don't care if you're 65 years old and, and part of the older generation. You need to be a good leader. You need to be the guy who takes all of the blame all of the time. They also need to sit down with him and, and and say, look, I get it. You've got a plan for this team and that that is not a sexy, fun plan that it's to run the ball. If if it's, you know, second and one, you run it three times pretty much. But the guy at least needs to trust his offensive coordinator because I tell you right now, he is the one who's managing that ultra conservative play calling. I, I I'm sure of it. Scangarello has got his issues, but you see that the first part of the game is schemed by the offensive coordinator with some input, obviously, from Fangio, but Scangarello is scheming it, and usually at the beginning of the game, things look really good. You know when it changes? Usually in the second half. You know who is mostly responsible for that? The head coach. Now, I think Scangarello, again, he's not been perfect, but I think he can put together a good scheme. I think, honestly, from what I'm seeing, reading between the lines, the head coach is putting his fingers in too many pies. And John Elway, as the GM, has got to see that and say, look, Fangio, bro, you know, I, I, you're good at some things, but stop messing around with the offense, man. I mean, I'm glad that he was aggressive on that fourth down, but, you know, that's not enough to let me just let him off the hook for a game plan that was not good. Why on earth do you I mean, your rookie quarterback is out there balling in the first quarter, and you just Stop. Why now I get it. The defense changes things around and they start, you know, saying, okay, daring you to run. That's not what I saw first down. They ran the ball every single first down. Now I don't have the stats in front of me, but I was saying during the game, like, are they ever going to pass on first? down? Are they ever going to run a play action? And boy, if they did it, it was not common. It was an extremely unimaginative game plan from, from what I saw and i think that comes from the head coach. i think the head coach is like, okay, yep, we've got a lead, so let's just run. And that's not good play calling. keep the the foot on the gas pedal, man, cuz look what's happened to the broncos. they've lost a lot of these close games. they've given up big leads because they they take their foot off the gas. you have got to learn from that. is an old man. he he's got to keep learning. you know, they say you can't teach an old dog new tricks. banjo's got to get past that. That being said, I do think, again, the Broncos got to stick with him. You have to stay with the guy you chose. At least for three or four years. Because if you don't, you're just constantly, constantly, constantly changing schemes. Who are you going to bring in that's better? Sure, if you can go trade for John Harbaugh or something, yep, I'm in. But other than that, no. Just you know, it, You can't always assume someone's going to be better. That's like the whole Fire John Elway plan. Okay, great. And bring in who? Who's going to be better? Is there going to be another GM that can come in and immediately lead this team to Super Bowls, championships, playoffs? No. So stop. You have to trust the process. And right now, that process, that plan is Vic Fangio. And that means it's going to be Vic Fangio's, you know, ground and pound old man style scheme. Now, that is good to a point, but I think there's also a point where ownership, front office needs to go to the coach and say, look, you need to use the players to the best of their abilities, which I think, again, like, look at the Denver Nuggets. They they got Michael Malone, said, yep, we're going to be a defensive team first, and that's how we're going to win, and right now, they're winning most of the time, And but they also say, look, you know, Jokic is the guy, and we need to feed him, and this year... I don't know what's been going on with Jokic, but anyway, that's a whole different podcast and sport. But anyway, you know, they said, look, these are your players. You need to use them the best that you can. And then they built around his scheme, but also around Jokic. That's what the Broncos have to do. They've got to find the players, their best players, and scheme to their abilities. And so far, I haven't seen much of that on offense. I've seen some of it on defense. It's been a good defense with not a ton of talent, honestly, because a lot of the, the best players are hurt. But on offense, I haven't seen that past the first or second quarter again, which tells me that that Scangarello and his staff are putting together a good plan that it works. It worked with Allen, it worked with Locke, and then all of a sudden, it just takes a nosedive. And I I think that's the head coach telling them, okay, chill, you know, cool it. We don't want we don't want Locke to make mistakes. I think that's bad. Let Locke make mistakes. Who cares? A loss right now is actually better than a win, so let the guy go out there and ball. Let him gunsling. What does he have? Let's see what he has. I mean, going out there in the second half and he gets what you know ten pass attempts. That's not enough. It doesn't make sense, and that's something that I am worried about. I'm worried that Fangio is too old fashioned. He's too set in his ways, and he's not going to change. Now I'm not panicking. I'm not saying to fire him, but it's something we should look at. And I think John Elway's got to look at it, and he's got to go. You know, have a little heart to heart with Angio and say, look, bro, you know, cool it. You got to be better than this. No more, you know, say some nice things. That's what leaders do. True leaders, they, they let the people around them, under them, they, they make them feel like they are, I don't want to say special, but like they, they are part of the, an important part of the scheme of the, of the plan. It's the same in the military. It's the same in a family. In a family the father does have to have he does have to be the, the the one who is confident and in control and he has to determine you know what happens and and how the house is run obviously with the mother as well but in this case let's just say the father because it works with my example and but in that case he also has to make it so that the the children don't feel like they're just keys to a cog of making you know they just do whatever he says you got to make it feel like they 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 feel like an important part of the system and the way you do that is you tell them they're an important part of the system that's how parenting works it's an equal measure of of love and discipline and that's the same as a head coach in my impression of Vic Fangio at least how he acts to the media and he's he is all discipline he's no love and it does matter. There's got to be a little love. The players have to want to play for him. I'm not saying they don't want to play for him, but you, you see what I'm saying. He's got to show some love. Go out there and say some nice things about Drew Locke. Say you're proud of him. Well, I mean, why not? Has anyone seen John Harbaugh interacting with Lamar Jackson this year? That's a good coach, man. I mean, he's he is boosting the ego of this guy and helping him out and making him feel like he is the special player. And you know what that does? That makes Lamar Jackson want to run through a freaking wall for his head coach. And it makes all of the players on the team want to run through a wall for their head coach. And right now, I don't get that feeling with the Broncos. fanjo has got to figure that out. He's got to take his discipline, which is a good thing. And I think it's a, something that he can build on and use. But he's got to balance it with love. He's got to balance it with something that the players are going to appreciate and want to play for him. fanjo has got to watch... Every bit of tape of John Harbaugh on the sideline in the locker room, etc., and try to fashion himself off of that to a point. Now, you don't want to become John Harbaugh. And I'm not saying Vic Fangio needs to become the next Mike Tomlin because he never will be that player's coach. That's okay. But balance it out a little bit. Understand your weaknesses. It's again, it's the same being a father. It's the same running an organization. If you wanted to run smoothly, you have to look at yourself in the mirror and say, what are my faults? What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? And when you understand them, when you understand yourself, that is when you can build on it. That is when you can improve. And when you improve, the people around you improve. Anyone who works anywhere, anyone in a family understands that if the parents in a family are in a bad situation that they don't, communicate properly, they don't say nice things, or they're not disciplined enough, then the kids aren't either. We see it all the time in this society. It trickles down from the top, and it's the same in a company. If the boss is is undisciplined, or if he's too harsh, then it trickles down, and the rest of the employees act and feel the same way. And in the end, that means that company is less productive. It's the same on the football field. Discipline, yes. Love, yes. You need both. And the best coaches ever, that's what they've had. Now, yeah, Bill Belichick may be an example of of not showing much love, but you know what? He's not a good example. He is a total... He's separate from the rule. Because he's won so much. He's a genius. Pure genius. And there aren't many coaches who can say that. Maybe Kyle Shanahan, on offense at least. I think he is close to being that genius type like Bill Belichick. And I think you see it. I don't think Vic is a genius. I think he's a very good coach, and I think he's a very good coordinator. But I don't think he has that to lean on. Now, I would love to be proven wrong, but I don't think he's a genius like Belichick. No one is. No one. So Banjo's got to balance it. And I hope that he does. Because if he does, if he finds that balance, if he learns from his mistakes, he's a rookie head coach too. There's a reason this guy was never hired as a head coach in his first, what, 30 years in the NFL. Because he's a gruff old fart. I mean, that's just the fact. The guy, he's proven everything as a coach. He's put up some of the best defenses in the last 20 years in the NFL. He's clearly smart. Obviously, the problem was his his temperament. But if he wants to be great, if he wants to lead this team to greatness, he's got to change. And I hope that it happens soon. I hope it happens next year. Because if it does, if Drew Locke can be the future, if he can have it, if Fangio can figure out his issues, and he can have it as a head coach, this team is truly, truly heading in the right direction. And, and I think next week against um, Houston... I hope I get to watch that game because I think that's going to be a fascinating game. I think the Broncos are going to get shredded, honestly, especially on defense. I think Deshaun Watson is going to just run wild. I don't think they're going to get any pressure on him, and I think that he's just going to have a heyday. Um, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I see this game against Houston being something like a like a 35-10 to 10 type game. I think Locke is going to, he's going to come out in the second game, as is pretty typical, and he's going to get hit around. Uh, I think Houston's not a great defense, but they're good enough that They're going to take advantage of of Locke's weaknesses. They're going to make him throw off his back foot, etc. And they're just going to stop the run and say, Okay, Locke, there you go, bro. You know, beat us. Now, if Locke can go out in that circumstance, in his second game, and control the game, and his coaches give him the chance, baby, oh baby, sign me up. And I'm excited to watch. Even if he fails, I'm excited to see. And again, I just... I love watching him play. I just love watching him play. I love watching him throw. Go back and watch the highlights of Drew Locke throwing the ball. He just its smooth. I mean, he's got this silky smooth delivery. He's hes really smooth in the pocket. He moves up. He moves around. he, he I think he's got this great instinct in the pocket. That is absolutely something you cannot teach. Joe Flacco didn't have it, at least with the Broncos. And if Drew Locke can, can figure out how to maneuver in the pocket and stay and, and improve his, his you know I don't know, his footwork, baby, watch out, NFL, watch out, because I think this kid showed he has the tools to be something not just good, something special, and I think that's what we should be excited about for the rest of this season and for hopefully, hopefully, hopefully many seasons to come. All right, I'm out. I'll see you all next week. I'll let you know how the sausages were in Innsbruck, because, again, that's half of the show's name the bratwursts um I'll, maybe i'll grade them I'll, I'll, I'll tell you all which ones i had and i'll grade what i think was the best bratwurst in innsbruck austria <laughs> until then take it easy.
0: thanks
1: as always kevin broncos country you ain't seen nothing yet Just don't be too surprised if we don't see it all this season, because odds are, we probably won't. So if you're a regular to Broncos and Bratwurst podcast, you know that Kevin and I like to search the deep weeds, so to speak, to find angles and hot takes and narratives that you're probably not hearing anywhere else. Well, today, though, I wanted to keep things more on the fairway and talk about the subject du jour, which is Drew Locke. Now, I have to start with a little story I told right after the draft last April. It was day two of the draft, and my wife and I are sitting in the living room watching a movie, and I'm trying to pretend like I'm not watching the draft going on. You know how that goes. So I looked down at my phone, and the Broncos have just drafted Dalton Reisner. And I was loving that pick, and surprised he lasted as long as he did. And the Broncos are back on the clock again. So they picked Drew Locke, and I just couldn't contain myself anymore. And I said, and I did it as nonchalantly as I could, wow, it looks like the Broncos just picked their quarterback of the future. And Mrs. Skipper Dude, who is not a big football fan, but was willing to play along and pretended to be interested, she says, so what's his name? Drew Locke, I said. She thinks about it for just a second, and she says, hmm, sounds like that place from Shrek. And so... And I thought about it for just a minute and I said, yeah, it it does sound like that place from Shrek. So ladies and gentlemen, I present to you the official Mr. and Mrs. Skipper Dude, Drew Locke theme song. (laughs) Yes, there it is, the Drew Locke theme song. So as most of you know, Kevin and I like to analyze the NFL from a particularly human perspective. We tend to put more weight than most analysts on things like character, coaching, locker room drama, and other intangibles. And with that as a backdrop, I'm here to tell you that I believe Drew Locke is the real deal. We won't know for a couple years whether he'll actually hit his ceiling or his floor, but guys, I honestly believe that Drew Locke's ceiling is, are you ready for this? John Elway, his floor is still probably Mitchell Trubisky, so he's got a huge, you know, room in there to to prove himself. I don't see him overtaking Patrick Mahomes as quarterbacks go, especially over the next year or two. That's just a strange perfect storm of goodness for the Chiefs. But short of injuries, I honestly see him getting into that Matt Ryan. Ben Roethlisberger, Carson Wentz strata of NFL quarterbacks as soon as next year, and perhaps even working toward the John Elway strata if he has the right coaching and talent surrounding him. Now, to understand why I'm so high on Drew Locke, I want to cycle back through the Paxton Lynch debacle. Like most of Broncos country, I was super excited when the Broncos drafted Paxton and I was seeing a bright future for him. When I started seeing though, I was started looking for little intangible indications that gave us a look into who he was going to be as a quarterback, and more importantly, as a person. The first came with his college scouting report, which questioned his intelligence and his playbook mastery. And I'm pretty sure he scored low on the Wonderlick test as well. Okay, red flag number one. Now Red Flag number 2 for me and this was not a, this was a small one. It was that infamous green screen video that he did before his rookie season. Not a huge deal, but honestly, is that something you could ever imagine Peyton Manning or Tom Brady or John Elway or Joe Montana doing? It was just kind of childish. So red flags number one and number two had me a little concerned, but still at that point not over the top worried yet. Then word started coming out that he was a video game junkie. And I think it was said, it was said and fun, but I kind of remember thinking, oh crap, this guy is just not a winner. And so when his second training camp began and you started hearing fans reporting from Dove Valley saying that he just doesn't look like he's progressed or improved any, I think that was the point where I pretty much knew He was a bust. I was still hoping, as fans will, that he'd pull it around and mature as an NFL quarterback, but I started to get the sinking feeling that he never would. And of course, he never did. Now, let's flip back over to Drew Locke. So back over the summer, I did a piece on college scouting reports for quarterbacks and came to the conclusion that with fairly uncanny accuracy, you could see booms like Peyton Manning and Patrick Mahomes and Andrew Luck and busts like Jamarcus Russell and Ryan and leaf and Paxton Lynch built into the scouting reports when they talked about intangibles. The great quarterbacks usually had great intangibles, and the busts typically had some kind of latent character defect that showed up in their scouting reports. So the point of the exercise at that point was to look ahead to the draft and see who the Broncos might want to pick a quarterback. The intangibles in the scouting reports pretty well said that the Broncos needed to stay away from Kyler Murray, and they were honestly on the neutral side with Dwayne Haskins and Drew Locke. So I really looked at things as a neutral that way. And through camp, I honestly didn't see much that swayed me one way or the other. He gave great interviews, which was a plus, but it really wasn't a major tell. So green flag number one for me was the passion you saw from several of Locke's teammates when it was first announced that he was going to start against the Chargers. Now, this was coming from guys like Vaughn Miller and Philip Lindsay, and you kind of had to take it as noise as much as anything. That was just Vaughn being a leader and whatnot. But the volume and intensity of the praise Jumped off the page for me, so I figure that combine that with the great interviews that we know he already has given, and and uh, especially in the lead up to uh, the 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 camp last year, uh, the the draft last year, and you have a small green flag number one. Now green flag number two, and this was absolutely enormous, was the first touchdown pass he threw to Cortland Sutton last Sunday. I expect you've probably heard by now that Locke changed the play in the huddle, but Vic Fangio came out later and said it was an authorized change. So, I mean, there's an indication right there that Locke has pretty well mastered the playbook in a way that Paxton Lynch and Joe Flacco and probably even Trevor Siemian never did. But think about what that did for Cortland Sutton. Here you have a stud wide receiver, a vocal young leader having a breakout season where he's looking like an nfl top 10 wide receiver and Locke does him a solid literally the first chance he gets changes the play has him go deep, then hits him in stride. If you saw or heard Sutton after the game, he was absolutely beaming. And you could tell in his voice that he is ready at this point to run through a brick wall for Drew Locke already. And think about how important that is. Outside of a pitcher and catcher in baseball, the quarterback-wide receiver relationship is probably the most important relationship in the entire sports world. Teams are defined by it, Andy Dalton and A.J. Green, Brady and Gronk, Big Ben and Antonio Brown, but oftentimes you'll get hugely talented combinations and they just don't click. Think about Baker Mayfield and Odell Beckham Jr. They don't click, but Drew Locke made it one of his first priorities to curry favor with his number one receiver. Guys, in addition to everything else that touchdown meant to Broncos country, that was just phenomenal leadership on Locke's part. But even in addition to the quarterback receiver bond that he was starting to create, he also flashed a little bit of arrogance in changing the play, and I say that in a good way. By all accounts, Drew Locke is an arrogant guy, but he's not cocky. Arrogance and swagger win championships. Cockiness is for losers, and there's often a fine line between the two. Elway, Montana, Favre, Manning, Brady, Unitas, these guys were all arrogant, but none of them cocky. Well, maybe Elway in his earliest days. But guys like Cam Newton and Baker Mayfield, these guys are cocky, and cockiness typically leads to short careers. So a huge, huge green flag number two for Drew Locke was his touchdown pass last Sunday to Cortland Sutton. Not so much just because it was a touchdown, but much more importantly, because of all the wonderful subplots that surrounded the main plot. So now, green Fight number three, and I'm not sure how many of you would have seen this, but Dalton Reisner gave an interview early in the week, and he told stories about training camp when he and Locke were roommates. Now, Reisner is a seriously hard worker when it comes to learning the playbook, hey, but he told stories about Drew Locke, very telling stories, I thought. That Locke would be up past 1 a.m. Sunday night's some nights nice, learning the playbook. That he would wear earphones and try to mimic game situations. He he made play calls into the mirror. I mean, just legendary, hardworking stuff. And I know I heard that story and I immediately thought, holy cow, this guy is like the ultimate anti Paxton Lynch. He's a guy who is driven to excellence with the best of the best, and that is going to pay off big over the long haul and probably even pay some re- dividends over the short haul. So you take a quick step back, look at Drew Locke, and what do you have? Nice size, check. Strong arm, double check. His last pass last, uh, last Sunday, when he drew the pass interference call, traveled something like 50 yards in the air, um, and it was absolutely effortless. Maneuverability, check. Pocket presence, Big check, at least one game into his career. He looked fantastic in the pocket, but we'll have to see how that holds up. But what I'm seeing is a guy whose intangibles are what are going to take him to greatness. He's coming off as a guy who has the bearing of the champion, the energy of a champion, and it spills over to the offense. And the, and the defense as well but not, not at the stupid levels of, of emotion that Keith Keenum tended to do. His, his was a little bit phony. Drew Locks comes off as being very real but he seems plenty intelligent, coachable, confident but also humble which is a pretty amazing and tangible skill stack for the coaching staff to work with. I truly believe the sky is the limit for this kid. So. Before we go booking Super Bowl tickets for next year, let's temper things a little. Number one, we're going to have to find out over the next two Sundays against two fairly weak defenses, but in extremely difficult places to play, Drew Locke's first wave of weaknesses. Maybe not the Texans so much, but you can be sure that by the time we go to Kansas City, Andy Reid will find something to attack when we play the, the following week. As we saw with Brandon Allen, it's not at all unusual to see a new quarterback kind of faceplant in his third game. Game three is a toughie because teams have had time to find weaknesses, and you haven't had time to adjust yet. And Kansas City is always a brutal place to play in December, so I'm not getting my hopes up high for that game. In fact, I'm really expecting that's going to probably be very likely the low point of Drew Locke's career. And second, so much of Drew Locke's ongoing success is going to be a result of good coaching. And I know that personally, I'm still very much on the Rich Gangarella bandwagon, but all in all, I haven't been super impressed with his play calling this year. Way too many runs on first down, way too much playing into the weakness of his quarterbacks, bootlegs for the yard gnome, Joe Flacco, and long passes for the fairly weak arm, Brandon Allen but I'm very much willing to give Scangarello a pass this year as a rookie coordinator who had to figure out how to best use three different quarterbacks. You're not seeing Scangarello best this year. I'm pretty convinced of that. And I think the future is going to be brighter for the Broncos offense going forward, but darn it, Rich, you're four and 8 you're going into two hostile environments to play two very legitimate playoff contenders who are very hungry to win their games. Would you just air it out and let Drew Locke show us what he's got? Open the playbook, throw deep, design a couple of quarterback draws to catch the defense off guard without getting Locke killed. I mean, suppose you get horrible tackle play and, and Locke looks lost and receivers drop passes and you turn the ball over four times and the Broncos... Broncos... Broncos lose 41 to 10. So what? Have you really set Drew Locke's development back? I really don't think so. So my friends, I want to let you know that I'm absolutely high as a kite over Drew Locke and the Denver Broncos prospects heading into 2020. As high as I think I've been since 2015. But let's not expect miracles right away. Drew Locke is still a rookie. He's going to play like a rookie. Flashes of greatness, flashes of garbage but I know I'm seeing the green flags of fantastic intangibles that make me believe that we ain't seen nothing yet.